0: Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter and this is Phil. Hello everyone. Hello. So today we're going to be talking about Nicholas Vince's book of short stories, What Monsters Do. Mm. Which just came out this year. Brand new. Mm. Came out as an ebook first and then as a paperback. Which Phil is holding in his hand as we speak which... I'm looking mesmerised by the cover It's a very good cover Yeah It's wonderful um, In fact, we both have this book in both versions, I think, don't we? Yeah Yes, good Carl, So you can get Carl, it on your, on your Kindle Or on your pad Or on your, as an e-book Whatever you youngsters are up to these days Your sketch pad <laughs> Your sketch pad Your Etch-a-Sketch And your Nintendo um, <laughs> But you can also get it as a paperback Which is very nice It's a really, really good cover, as we just said Mm. And it's a book of seven short stories, all horror stories, all about monsters in different ways. The tagline on the front says, it is not our flesh, but our acts which make us monsters. Mm. So that's the idea. Yeah, and we've been uh, very fortunate to interview Nick Vince, Nicholas Vince, the man himself, about the book. So we're going to play our interview with him now. And then afterwards, we're going to give you our thoughts and feelings about the stories as well. So, this is a spoiler-free podcast, hopefully. There might be a couple of little plot points in this interview about the stories, but we did try and make it as spoiler-free as possible, so that if you haven't yet read the book, you can still listen to this podcast and then go and read it. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing in the interview that really gives any twists away. No, don't think like so. That. So, without further ado, please enjoy this interview, and we'll be back afterwards to tell you our thoughts and feelings about the book. Hurrah! Enjoy. So we're now here talking with Nicholas Vince himself about the book. Hello, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you very much. Good. Good. So can we talk a little about... Um, we have spoken to you before about the how it came into being. Mm-hmm. But first of all, you wrote The Beast in Beauty a few yes. years ago for Fear magazine.
1: Well,
0: or was it? Or, or <laughs> it was first published in Fear magazine, should I say?
1: It wasn't even published in Fear magazine. <laughs> oh, oh, idiot. Uh, should we start no, again? <laughs> no, not at all. Peter's right. I was wrong. On the back of the book, it says it was published in Fear. And I had lunch with John Gilbert, who's just brought out Fear magazine again. And I was sitting there thinking, it wasn't Fear. It's was originally published in Skeleton Crew. Oh. Now, I remember when I put this on the book jacket. I think it's all right. It's on the back cover. It's wrong. Um, It says that it was in Fear magazine. It might. I'm going to have to redo the inside at least. I I know it was actually Skeleton Crew. So that's the exclusive for this podcast because nobody else has spotted it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we are. That's the start then. Um, (laughs) So anyway,
0: you wrote *Beast and Beauty and it's published in a magazine (laughs) called Skeleton Crew. Yes. So how did that come about then to start with?
1: Really, uh, it came about because I'd done look-see for Fear magazine. That one was definitely <laughs> uh-huh. Fear magazine, uh, which John Gilbert had uh, had asked me to do. Um, and as I remember, it was a guy called David Hughes, uh, or Dave Hughes, who was then editing, who commissioned me to do Skeleton Crew. By the time it came out, Dave was no longer editing Skeleton Crew. Uh, but it did come out, and it's got a swamp thing on the front cover, uh, is what I remember clearly about it. <clears throat> but it was inspired by a picture by John Bolton, mm. uh, titled The Princess and the Satyr. Um, and that's really how it came about. It was just taking the picture and then writing a story around it.
0: Okay, great.
1: And so were the other stories written very recently for this? The... Green Eyes was written originally in 1983, and I rewrote it for this collection. Um, it was never published. It's never been published anywhere, because I was, even though I wasn't being published, <clears throat> I was writing. I was just writing short stories and short comic stories, particularly, which none of which were also published. Um, so I've got a I've got a, a nice file, a whole folder with which is now called Story Ideas. Um, and one of the short stories was inspired what would have been a four-page comic story, uh, Death Is But The Doorway. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically I took, I actually just took the characters. I really liked the two characters, the two female leads in that, uh, and then just wrote a new story mm. around it based on, it was originally about a, something Egyptian and mummies and museums and so on. Um, but it just went in a very different way got the book, What Monsters Do, and I've got
0: our review of it, Um but just to go through it with you, mm, I guess, sure. would be really nice, just to sort of talk about the stories and, and, and sort of see where they came from. Okay. Um, so if we could go through them like one at a time, yeah, maybe, and just ask what your thoughts are. What
1: my thoughts <laughs> oh, are. What my thoughts are. It's Okay, so we're going to start with Family, Family Tree. Family
0: Tree. Yeah,
1: you're going to have to prompt me because I we're... can't remember the titles in order. <laughs> um... I wanted to write a classic monster. Uh, I thought I, you know, I I love the classic monsters. I, I'm sure I've told you. I'm sure we, when we last spoke, we were talking about the fact I used to have, Wolfman and yeah. models and so on at the foot of the bed. So I wanted to write a classic monster uh, story, but with a a twist on it. I mean, a um, classic monster in in Family Tree. Um, Get about six pages in before you know what the monster is, so it's probably not too much of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, to, uh, and it's appeared elsewhere that it's a it's a werewolf, but it's more about the relationship of the brothers and what his family about mm-hmm. and our attitude to our children and illness and inherent inherited disease. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of the, inter- the things that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, where did it come from? I just kind of sat down and that was one of the ones where I just kind of sat down and felt, okay, well, what if, what if, what if, what if? Yeah, I mean,
0: when I read it, I thought about the last time that we spoke where Mm. you'd said about the Universal Monsters thing, and I thought, ah... And I think it was really interesting to have it as the first story from the point of view is that the cover, what monsters do in the tagline, you know, it's not our flesh, but our acts which make us monsters. Mm. So I thought, okay, here we go. Let's let's see what, what these kind of monsters are going to be, you know. And then the first story is technically about an actual monster.
1: Yes. Know, a werewolf. It's about a Which was war- a really
0: nice wrong footage. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, right, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But it's also, I think the theme of that story particularly is a, this is somebody who has an affliction mm. and how do they deal with it? And it, uh, to be honest, it's, I, I think the reason for writing it is because I thought they missed a trick in American Werewolf in London. Mm. Went back to, to, uh, to write the story, I went back and watched the original Universal just Horror Story to remind myself, uh, and I got it right, that in the original Universal Horror he has to be killed by somebody who loves him. Mm. And I was, I was just completely assumed that John Landis was going mi- to put Jenny Agata through that hell. Yes. And when he gets shot by a whole load of shots, I think, oh, you just missed something that's really fascinating and interesting. Mm. I mean, it's a great movie, don't get me wrong, I love American Werewolf in London, but um, what I was really interested in was about that thing of what if you're given this impossible situation? What do you do? Mm-hmm. And yes, it's about a classic monster. But somebody who kills his brother—is that not a monster? Yeah. yeah. You know, but why did he kill? His, you know, how much of a monster does that make him? That's you know, it's that moral dilemma that I was interested in on that first one. Yeah. Definitely.
0: That's great. And just talking a bit, without giving too much away, mm. about the transformation you mm. use in the story, which is very different to a lot of things you see in films and yeah. fiction. Yeah. Was that a specific
1: idea of yours? You wanted to be different to the others, or yes. where did that yes. come from? That that came from. Okay, how can I make this different? Mm. That literally just came from how how do I make this different? Um, and I just you know once I got the basic concept of how it might work, then what is the effect of that? And how does that work in reality? That's what I wanted to look at, basically. And just, I think I've said this before, as a writer, you just play the if game. Well, what if this was true? Mm. Well, if that's true, then what does that mean? And then you just keep on going into the logical conclusion. And it's important to me that these, these stories have to be, in inverted commas, real. That once you accept, once you suspend your disbelief in one aspect, the rest of it has to follow on logically. Mm. And I spent a lot of time trying, working on that and just saying, okay, does that make sense? How would this person, how would I react? How would somebody react in this situation? Is that still real? Mm. Um, So, yes, but it came from, how do I make this different? (laughs) Have I seen this before? How do I make it slightly different? I think that perfectly, I mean, that really comes across in
0: the story, I think, where you, you do have to suspend your disbelief with the w- mm. whole werewolf thing and go, oh, all right, oh werewolf, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the transformation and, and things like that mm. do really anchor it mm. in reality yeah. and make your brain visualize it and go, oh, God, yeah. Okay, and then you do forget about the yeah. werewolf thing in a way yes. and just go along with the situation. Yeah, yeah. So I think that works really well. Yeah, it's very good. Though. Read the transformation bit. It's very good. (laughs) (laughs) And one final question about Mm. Family Tree. Um, Any particular reason you wanted to put that one first
1: in the book? I think it was probably something that came out. In fact, I know it was. I attended a um, seminar for horror and fantasy writers. Um, and one of the guys there who edits anthologies, and he said, well, of course, what you have to remember is now that 10 to 15% of your book is downloadable free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was actually thinking in terms of strength of the story, does it, and do you get the complete story? I think in some, I'm not sure, on iBooks you don't. So I was actually looking at word counts as well, and, and actually had to look at the stories and thinking, well, how far do you get into the story? All right. Thinking in purely in terms of marketing and publishing is, and so on, because it's a whole new way of publishing. In traditional publishing, if you and the way I always used to buy books when I went into bookshops is to pick up the book cover, look at the front cover. Is it an interesting front cover? What's the story? Probably not. Read the blurb on the back back cover because book blurbs always tend to give away far too much. Mm but open up the first page and start reading the first couple of paragraphs. And if you've got me in the first couple of paragraphs, because that's probably how long you could spend you know, in the old days, how yeah. long you could legitimately spend in a paragraph, has it got me in the, the first page? You know, by the end of the first page, has this really got me? Am I therefore going to buy the book? Mm. Um, so it's you have to think about that now. If, when you're publishing, you have to think about how much if you're doing publishing anthology, if you're doing a big book, a novel, and it's you know you're going to get most of the first chapter or part of the first chapter, so, so yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Mm. Right, great.
0: So moving on to the second story, which is "Tunes from the Music Hall." Mm. This this one is absolutely fascinating. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good. I had no idea where it was going or what was going to happen in it, and it really kept me intrigued for the whole thing. Good. Thank so you. the idea of first of all of a ghost telling the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is that
1: how it started? That's how it started. It was that image, the original image which actually didn't get into the book is the image I had in my mind was that somebody looking in a mirror and then seeing a face, a disembodied face in the mirror behind them looking over their shoulder. Hmm. Um, And, of course, that immediate reaction of of horror. But the face, or whoever it is, is actually trying to communicate something that will save them. Yeah. That that was the original inspiration. Um, The research... It was really interesting doing... Victorian research. There's something about Victorian England and London, particularly. That's where ghost stories should be set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And funnily enough, I just there's a, in the in the next collection there will be another Victorian story in it. Oh, absolutely, because um, I just there's something about gaslight and fog yeah. and you know and men in long capes and top yeah, that's where I wanted it... them to do a new Hellraiser yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, hell, uh, yeah. I,
0: Victorian Hellraiser I, I thought of Victoria. Victorian Hellraiser oh, no. the image of Pinhead standing in a room yeah. with gaslights and stuff or whatever just <gasps> made me go it wouldn't that's be Pinhead really, but you know a no, Cenobite
1: something uh, something along those lines that's really interesting yeah oh really that is very interesting Fun, funnily you should mention that um, I will. I'm still toying with the idea, but I'm probably going to be. Yeah, it's, it's almost certainly going to happen. In fact, it is going to happen. I was originally going to thinking of putting this story in the next collection, but it won't be in the next collection. It's actually going to go up on a website called Followers of the Pandorax, uh, which is another take on the origin of the Chatterer. Um, and that will probably gum up. Before Christmas, or oh, part of it will come up uh, because I'm working with a guy called Eric Gross on a new Pandora, the new puzzle box. Cool. Uh, designed for that, and he's asked for a backstory as well. Um, so that's my kind of, you're like my fan fiction. Mm, uh, yeah. the, how did an 11 year old boy end up in hell? Mm. I like, think I may have mentioned this before, but yeah. that's always fascinated me. And after that, our last conversation, I thought, I really must do something about this. So you have gone back to I the, he was uh, an 11-year-old boy yes. this time. Yes, and ha- it, it's not a happy story. Um, <laughs> it, it's actually, it was, it was really quite difficult to write as well. Um, so, yes, and we start, oh, that's right, Victorian. Mm. Um, it's not specified which country it's set in at the time, but it does have steam trains. Right. in it, uh-huh. so it, it's set in that area it's not in London mm-hmm. uh, it's very definitely not in London um, but I think that's, that's relevant. The, uh, and if anyone's interested the, once you've read the story, go and watch the movie Gaslight mm. in fact there are two versions of the movie Gaslight which were made within ten years of each other So it's odd. and less than that, it's only about six years apart There was an English version of the movie Gaslight and then they did the American version um, with Ingrid Bergman, for which she got her first Oscar. Mm. And and Gaslight was definitely the inspiration for the story as well. Um, And once you've read the story and if you've seen the movies, you'll understand what it is I'm talking about. Mm, Uh, So, yeah, that's where that one came from.
0: I mean, I I really love this story as well. I thought it was really amazing and I, I really enjoyed the way that... (laughs) <laughs> how to speak about it without giving it away right, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> just that there was a lot of layers there was there were things that were going on in the story that were all intermingling mm. and intermeshing and yeah. and that I found really pleasing to read mm. it was very interesting from that point good. of view yeah good good brilliant there we are Here it's we a are. good one it's a good one we <laughs> like that one it's so. good Moving on to the next one then, which was Green Eyes. Green As you eyes. said, you originally wrote this in 83. 83,
1: something like that. That literally started, yeah. and this c- cannot possibly be considered a spoiler, because it's the opening line. Um, I was sitting at my parents' house in Sussex in front of a log fire with the cat, and it was snowing outside. And that's how the story started. Yeah. Uh, and, I was just, and I remember just sitting there. I can picture it still very, very clearly. I'd also got a picture in mind. In fact, there is one image in the in the short story that is uh, based on a picture called "We Must Must Always Turn South." Um, I don't know if you can even get that picture online, Um, but it's up and it's I've had it for years, Mm. Um, and that also kind of gave the background of the story and the characters. And again, it's like John's um, uh, The Princess and the Satyr had part of the story was there, but the other part of the inspiration was just the picture and thinking, okay, I can see this picture. What is the story behind? Mm. I love just taking a picture in an image and then just weaving a story uh, around it and and, and trying to work out what's going on before that moment and what happens after that moment of the picture.
0: That's really interesting that you say that because I'm that's twice that you've kind of done that mm. I guess um, but also when you were writing the comics and stuff it mm. was the other way round was it not or was it or was it you know because it's all sort of it's always this sort of images based with words and stuff or
1: that's very interesting gosh you're asking me to go back 30 odd years um to really think I think I think I think I think in terms of images yeah I love watching movies mm-hmm. um, when i'm writing i've got very clear images in my mind uh, as to what although i was talking to my editor recently and one of the stories has come back with the comment you've got too much dialogue here mm-hmm. well that's because when i've thought of the story it was originally a monologue in fact there was no description in it when i in the, in the first draft it was literally all it was a it was a monologue um but I love pictures and I've always been inspired by pictures mm. um, really weird thing uh, heard back in May of this year I don't know if this is a complete aside but the we found a picture in Musée d'Orsay when we were there of a man it's Dante's Inferno mm. and it shows one man attacking another man and biting him mm. uh, and biting and they're both naked uh, with the figures very, very dramatic. It's a very strong effect on me. I um, thought it was based on Dante's Inferno, the story's already been written. Oddly enough, that weekend when we got back, we saw the reports of the guy who'd had his face eaten off by another guy oh, in America. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, yeah, that's it. So I just find pictures really, really inspiring. Always, always have done. Uh, I, I have picture books at home and, and love watching stuff. Mm. And, and I, I will remember images. I do remember quotati- quotations as well, but I've always been fascinated by pictures. Mm, yeah, I
0: mean, this is an, another story that I really loved. I thought this was such a good one. You know, the characters were really, yeah. really interesting. The situation, even though the situation is, you know, fairly mm. static... I guess, in terms of where they are yeah. and what they're doing. It's, it, it really keeps you guessing all the way I through. I thought there was it, a real you know. feeling of, oh, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, happen. all the time I was thinking, well, what's going to go on, what's going to
1: go on? <laughs> and, and it's fascinating, because when, you know, when you're writing these things, because again, when I was writing this one, I was thinking, oh, I haven't got anything scary happening yet. <laughs> 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 Though I did discover that it's got a jump moment in it, which I, um, without giving the, the game away hopefully too much, Um, One of the Amazon reviews that I got, the reviewer mentioned that there's a WTF moment which had made her scream and scared her roommate. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't work out for ages which story it was. And then Hugh Ross from Nightbreed, Mm. we were travelling back from Albaristra together and he got the book and was reading the story. And he literally jumped when he got to the point as well, in, in <laughs> the train on the way. <laughs> what the hell are you done? Know? <laughs> um, so, and again, when I wrote it, that's not... I wasn't consciously thinking, oh, this is a jump moment. It yeah. was just like, no, this is the character, and this is what he, he will do. And I think you were asking me earlier about, you know, the inspiration for stuff. If it's not pictured, these are some of the inspirations I have. Often it'll be an image. Sometimes, a lot of the time, it's, it's a phrase... I would just have a phrase in my head and, think, oh, okay, well, who said, who said that? Why did they say that? What's the... Oh, well, then they're going to say that. And I also mentioned that I'd taken two characters from just because I'd love the characters. And you kind of think of a situation to put them in. Mm. And then really, once you've got the character, it sounds very strange when, actors, when writers say things like this, but the character tells you their story. Mm. I don't know... Necessary. I kind of know. I'm writing another story. The story I'm working on now, I started at least two years ago, and I've got the notes from two years ago. I know what this. I know what it is I'm trying to write about, and I just used to get so far and just hit a blank wall. I'm now getting on much better with it, and it is a lot more because there's a central character, or three, four central characters. Four characters in the story, in total, in fact, and it's just listening to them on what it is they're trying to say, Mm. and you're thinking, Okay, well, I've got you now and understand you, and that's how you're going to react in this situation. Oh, yeah, you (laughs) say that if somebody says this to you, that's how that's going to go. So,
0: yeah, it sounds sounds almost like (laughs) like sometimes that um, when you're saying about your process, like Mm. almost that you're not so much going right I'm setting out to write this thing in this way but mm. almost that you're kind of at the mercy of these other elements you know the, the images the it phrases is, what the characters yeah. are saying to you yeah. and you're just kind of trying to craft them into absolutely them
1: I, I read um, uh, as a writer I read lots of blogs about writing and somebody said first thing you need to do is write down the title it makes it so much easier to write the rest of the story if you've got the title. Mm. I find titling stories really, really hard yeah. because it's actually one of the, the hardest last, things. It, yeah. it, it, it's actually, and sometimes I have an end point and I have an end line in mind. I always feel more comfortable if I know you. You always feel more comfortable because otherwise you think, "What? Well, don't know how this is going to end yet." Yeah. Mm. Sometimes that's you know, that can be quite scary. But I think the um, just seeing it organically grow mm. and pushing the character. It's almost like improvisation as an actor. I think it's a, a very similar scale. It's like, okay, I'm in mean the person of a, as, as an actor, you create a character and you improvise often you're working with, obviously, with other people mostly when you're improvising and you've got those things to bounce off. Um, so I think in terms of writing, I'm kind of being all the different people in the Mm. the play in the story. Yeah, right,
0: brilliant. So, the next story is Death is But the Doorway. Yes. And as you mentioned earlier on, you had these two characters, you had a previous story for them, which was going to be a comic
1: story. It was going to be a four-page comic story set in uh, the... uh, And this doesn't appear in the story at all now, but the line that I really had going was, and the image I had in my mind was of... Jude, um, who is the, the young female lead, mm-hmm. um, and her nan, and they were in the British Museum and they got locked in late at night in the British Museum. This is written in the 1980s. Um, and the first line is, Oh dear, what can the matter be? Three old ladies got locked in, the ladder of a tree. <laughs> and I just had this image of this granddaughter who's a punk rocker and her grandmother mm. and the da- granddaughters teasing the grandmother because she got locked in a lavatory. And nobody knew she was, there. well, they didn't know that she was there, obviously. And that was the way that one started. But um, when I reread the comic story, that didn't make sense as a, as a short story. Um, but I just love these characters. Mm. I just thought they were really interesting characters uh, uh, and fun to play with. It's, a, it's, the sh- it's the longest story in the book. Um, what did you guys think of that one? Um, for, for me, I thought it
0: really harked back to sort of classic Hammer Horror mm. style with, the, of course, the classic twist of the, with the punk rocker yeah. and what was happening with you know modern-day TV and that sort of thing as well. Um, but it was very classic... Hammer sort of style,
1: yeah. classic horror story. I, I mean, the inspiration, for I, when, I, when I started writing, the first thing I did was sit down and watch the Universal, mm. uh, watch the Universal, Boris Karloff yeah. uh, one. Um, and again, in looking at that, those classic monsters, trying to find a new angle, trying to find something new and interesting to say is, is, is difficult. Um, I've had a couple of people who said that it was their favourite. Uh, of, of,
0: the, of the stories yeah, yeah I mean for, for me it was, one, it was the most like left field one in the whole thing really because right. it, it just came out of nowhere and it was just this kind of fully formed like you say like a kind of hammer or yeah. universal kind of yeah. uh, story and it really rem- reminded me of Ray Harryhausen type stuff yeah. with a modern ah, edge yes. you know because I could imagine these um, yeah. things yeah. Yeah. you know Sorry, kind, of, um, yeah. kind of coming to life and, and, and all of this and that's really interesting so I got yes, a lot of images it, yeah. from it myself and yeah. then yeah. that I enjoyed definitely yeah. definitely yeah. but I kind of just settled into my groove of kind of like interesting sort of psychological thing and then there was this thing where it was, it was like Ray Harryhausen yeah. in my head. and yeah. I was like wow yeah. again you know it was something really different which was really pleasing in the collection you know you've yeah. got a lot of it goes up a lot of different places, yes. which yeah. is which is good in a, yeah. in a in a short story thing. Yeah. Certainly, good. <coughs> Did you have a lot of knowledge already about ancient Egypt, or was that all research you did?
1: I that is really interesting. I've always been fascinated from a, a kid in ancient Egypt, and so that was always one of the. Apart from ancient Greek myths and legends, I was always interested in Egypt because in 19 yeah, whatever it was, um, we went we queued for eight hours to see the uh, Tutankhamun exhibition oh, the first time we oh, came yeah. across. So at the British Museum, and I remember we queued eight hours because there were three bomb scares. Oh, just clearly remember standing with my family, uh, waiting to, and then going through the exhibition in twenty minutes. <laughs> there wasn't that much to see, but getting in front of the mask of Tutankhamun and, and just standing there in front of this mask and thinking, this is two thousand odd years old, and then. So I was always interested. There's quite a lot online, but. A lot of the ideas and, and confirmation of the evidence, some of the details came out of a museum in Leicester, the name of which I can't remember for the shame of me. Um, but I just happened to be there, and I just happened to walk into this museum because I had an afternoon to kill. Um, Craig, my other half, was doing a baking course, um, and I was just sent off by myself. <laughs> and they have six mummies there that were donated by... Thompson the guy behind the holiday company all right so the victorian had donated this these mummies oh, wow. to the museum and it's a really really interesting yeah. exhibition because they talk about all the burial practices it, they talk about the movies mm. um, in fact, in and fiction and so on and got some fascinating movies how a mummy was put on display on a station platform in Canada one time, and the people said, oh, it must be cursed, it must be cursed. The whole idea of mummy's curses. And mm, some... yeah. yeah, it's always fascinating. It's, it's really interesting, it's really interesting. So, yes, and, and then I got 100 Things You Didn't Know About Ancient Egypt, and that was really <laughs> interesting. And it's a kid's book, which is a tip I think I may have mentioned, I may have mentioned this before that Clive Barker gave to yeah. me he said yeah that if you want to know something always start with the kids books because mm-hmm. they're so clearly explained and that's what I did it's got a beautiful book speaking of kids books yes nursery rhymes <laughs> 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 yes. next story is oh, the yes. nursery really rhymes segue into Thank that oh, amazing um, oh.
0: so where did the idea for nursery rhymes come from? Again, it's a comic story. Um,
1: Well, it's a comic story and just how dark one's mind is. I can't really tell you without giving the game away. But suffice to say that it was illustrated. I don't think it was ever published. Um, It was illustrated? It it was illustrated. Well, a version of the story was illustrated. Um, Using Mortigan Gough, the character I created for Marvel. Um... Yes, Nursery Rhymes, the one story in the collection that really means it's over 16s only. For me, this one definitely was the one that had the the
0: what-the-fuck moment for me. I said, oh, hang on, what's happening now?
1: (laughs) And again, it was just... uh, Again, those kind of scenes I find very difficult to write, but it was... Again, it's that character and that situation. That was the logical conclusion as far as I was concerned. Um, and it, the whole, yeah, I can't actually tell you the inspiration without giving the game away okay. but there was a definite thing about oh yeah but that's all very nice but what if that wasn't nice and people did something nasty with that nice idea um, yeah. To, to, yeah
0: it's quite a, it's a bit of a nasty
1: yeah this nasty one you one, really can't one.
0: really talk much about without giving it away but yeah. it's very interesting there's, yeah. there's a lot
1: there's a lot yeah. in it there's and not it's going definitely on. over 16s only uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> this is adult stuff <laughs> yeah. okay well I think I up but that, oh, that, 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 yes. that, that, that yeah. was just the best advert for it ever it was yes <laughs> <laughs> if I heard that I'd be like I have to read this now <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so the worst day then is the next one
1: the worst day this is the first story that I wrote after working, stopping to work full time Um when I left my full-time employment, I was given a. I'm trying to remember, I'd just come back to it when I saw you guys last time. I was given. You had just
0: left, I think, when we saw you. That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah, I just I had just come back from uh, a writers' retreat, which uh, my colleagues had paid for at, my, at uh, QAS, where I used to work. Um, where did that one come from? I love the idea. Um, Again, it's, it's a father in an impossible situation. Um, and who's good? To be, and they think about what monsters do. The title came from a walk I had with, one morning with other people on the course. And uh, the lady who runs the, um, uh, the retreat was talking about what, something that had happened in her family. And she's saying, "Of course, it's the worst day for any parent." Mm. Um, so that's where the tri- and that whole situation and being in a hospital asked to make an impossible decision, uh, and then what? Okay, well, there's something more behind that. Why is, why is the father so guilty, and so on? So that was literally the that one was written that week. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's when that one came from really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. that. Was that was one that I thought I I, I wished in a way it'd gone on longer. Because I was, I was really yes. enjoying it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And th- this is—I've had that feedback, and so, so it's interesting. The stories I'm writing now are longer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The first, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and I think you know, coming back after I wrote a short story for um, the uh, Hellbound Hearts collection that's the first short story I'd written in a while—but mm. um, this was really was coming back to writing after a while, and it is that thing. Of, well, you've got to have lots of things happening mm. in your mind. I've I've, I've calmed down from that now, I think. Yeah. You know, as I've realised based on people's feedback uh, uh, that you, as a writer you can spend some time getting to your point. Again, it's intro- I know, often I, I do just kind of want to jump straight into the action yeah. uh, as a writer, because those are kind of the interesting bits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm having to re- rethink about some of the, the stories I'm working on at the moment, mm. um, because sometimes it just needs, and sometimes you just have this line. And you think, okay, well, this has got to be the opening line. This is the best way of opening this story, and that tends to be around the action. But yeah, possibly longer next time. Good,
0: good. good. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> and then Flying *The Beast in Beauty* is the last story in the collection. So, how was that coming back to it after so long?
1: It's really interesting because I've read. This is actually, it was originally published in skeleton crew not <laughs> I then did publish a collection of my short stories uh, for a signing uh, a memorabilia or autographica that I'd done a few years ago and I just did a limited edition and I re-edited it then I looked at it then then when it came to this one I rewrote quite not massively um, but actually emphasised the opening sequence uh, when I was talking to Jose Latao um, he said I really love this because it's almost like poetry mm-hmm. and I thought that was what I was striving for when I wrote when I, the opening sequence um, because I was trying to write by observation funnily enough because I've never taken drugs in my life um, not deliberately uh, I've been to lots of parties where it was really, really foggy with a really interesting <laughs> smell of the smoke, um, and I've never—possibly—I have inhaled once, possibly. Um, but actually, trying to write that euphoria as to what I imagine—you know—people have talked about, in, in, but you get from alcohol as well. I mean, I used to drink alcohol, um, but I know how. Weird and wonderful my imagination gets and how scary my imagination can get at times and I don't like losing control that much um, that opening sequence was about writing a very, at a particular time as well um, as to what was going on in the world and it's in, in the story it tells you exactly the date from which it's set uh, and what was going on, I think I described it at the time of the poison of blood. There was mm. an awful lot, you know. Yeah. Lot of what was but writing that dreamlike state and the sexuality of that as well, um, mm. it was really fascinating as well. Um, but again, that's, funnily enough, it turns out that's not really what the story's about. Yeah. It, it goes in a different way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just continuing that theme, isn't it? If, going one way and then it goes the other (laughs) way. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, That's really good, really good. Brilliant. So we have to ask Mm. about your next collection. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What are the plans at the moment for the next collection of short stories?
1: Okay, so it's got a title. Uh, The title is Other People's Darkness. It's got a cover (laughs) Um, because I was in Paris this last weekend um, and we Went through a whole few few ideas with Carlos Castro, who did the cover for the first one, which is brilliant, by the it, way. It, it's a you. brilliant yeah. cover. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, that is Carlos on the cover. That is his, those are his eyes, and it's his forehead and his hands and shirt and uh, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, his teeth, though. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but you can tell it's his eyes because there's a little mole underneath one of the eyes, and that's oh, definitely Carlos. That's brilliant. Um, He's done the next and he's going to be doing hopefully he'll be doing all three because uh, this is my plan is to write a collection three collections of short stories um, so what have we got I we've got two stories that are completed and one's back from the editor for a rewrite another one's with the editor there is a third story that I th- was originally thinking of putting in the collection but which will now not be going in the collection which will become on the p- Pandorica, well, at least a sample of it and I'll probably make it available on my uh, website. And that's no. the Cheshire, Um well the, the idea of how did an 11-year-old boy end up in L. So I'm halfway through the third story in the collection which leaves me another three to-do Um Gosh, I was really wanting to get these done by the end of November. <laughs> You've got a couple of days. I've you? got a couple of days, this is true, yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm going back and I'm writing some more when I get back. Um, I can, I can, it's, uh, it's always the way. And I think it's, it's always, you know, the second album is the hardest, the second book is the hardest. Um, I've, once I got this, the first one published, then was actually I had to spend time marketing doing my taxes, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of setting stuff up. Um, so the way it's looking at the moment is that the second one will be an ebook before Christmas. I'm hoping to get it out. Right. Christmas may be 11.59 on Christmas Eve, of course. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's the aim on the moment. Just to, to get out. Brilliant. It's well, fun. we hope
0: that you uh, have another chat with us about that one in the new year? Yes. Yeah, I should look forward to that. That mm. would be lovely. And best of luck with What Monsters Do. Hope it's going well and hope it continues to go well. Thank and you. And best of luck with the new one. Out for Christmas, Out hopefully. for Christmas.
1: <laughs> Cross fingers. It's really hard to type when you've got your fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very Great. much okay. for talking to us, Nick. Thanks, Thanks for you..: my pleasure. Cheers. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so there we are. That was a nice little chat we had with Nick. Mm. In a mm. pub. Lovely as ever. With real London atmosphere in the background. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, for all uh, people all over the world, that was some real London atmosphere yeah. in the background. <laughs> so, let us talk about it then. Mm. So it probably makes sense, again, briefly, to go through the stories one by one and just uh, say our thoughts and feelings on them. So Family Tree, the first one, as we said in the interview, it's about a werewolf. It's a family story, as mm. the title would suggest. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting. And as I mentioned in the in the interview, the transformation we've talked about now is, is, is really key to the whole thing I think. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, it was really interesting to hear what Nick had to say about um it's not just, you know, a werewolf story as you could take it. Mm. you know, it's interesting it's, it's about families, it's about inherited disease, it's about As are a few do? of the stories really, aren't they? There's a lot of family business in the stories and a lot of yeah. disease and that sort of thing as well and, and Yeah there's a theme things that, being passed on to other people. A theme of um uh, dysfunctional families, yeah. yeah, in there for sure. But yeah, I really like this story. It was a really good twist on um, your kind of classic werewolf tale. Mm. Really well done. And as we said, they're they're quite short these stories, and this one flew by. Yes, well, you sort of opened the and said right, let's have a look what we got here, then, and then all of a sudden I'd finished the first one. Like, yeah, oh, mm. that was cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, good start. Very good. Mm. Yeah, and the second story, tunes from music hall. This is the one that's uh, narrated by a ghost set in this big house. This is the Victorian one, which, as Nick said, really does immediately give you an atmosphere already. You know, it begins with talking about this, the lamp lighter lighting Mm. the lamps and this person watching who you're not quite sure about for a couple of pages who he is and then discovers that he is a a ghost who died in the house. Yeah, I love this story. I thought it was really good. Yeah, this one's really good really good so layered and just so interesting you know with the different people the protagonist mm. and yeah I and the really story the, the story that is happening that this guys watching we didn't really touch on in the uh, in the interview it's a story of again a family uh, a mother and a father mm-hmm. and their daughter mm. but the father has some some secret agenda which isn't terribly secret to the uh, to the mother but it is, it is secret to society, especially back in those days. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that um, Nick's written this story. Mm, it really it plays, brings up some big issues. Yeah, and it plays actually. on taboos and what is acceptable in society and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, and it uh, it certainly ends on a, a really kind of like, ooh, note. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say without saying what happens in it. So, yeah. um, but it's it's really good. I really enjoyed yeah. this one. It's really uh, well written. Mm. Yeah, it's cracking. Mm-hmm. Very good. So the next one we've got is Green Eyes. Yeah, and this is well again. I think we're say is for all of them another family story, <laughs> but uh, a lot of them are. I mean, there's a lot yes. of um, yes, m- sort of mothers and fathers and children and this parental. Relationship is played on in a few of these stories, because I mean it's such a rich subject. I think subject matter, and there's such a lot you can say about it. And but saying that, that it's not to say that they're similar. These stories, they they are all very different. Yeah, no, they really are. And you know, fathers and children act in very different ways in the stories. I really like this story. I think it's really good. I think it's got a great atmosphere. Even though it, um, as I said in the interview, you know, it it takes place. You know, pretty much in uh, one location, it's real a real one where you're thinking, what what's going to happen next? What's going to happen it really next? Is. There's this oppressive atmosphere, and you think, what is going on here? And because nothing really horrible has happened, that makes you even more makes you go, something is about to happen. What's going to mm. happen? What's going to happen? Yeah, it's got a real sense of foreboding about it, and uh, it really has. I love the the main character of um, Justinian. Uh, just really interesting to mm. sort of see into his mind. His warped mind. <laughs> and um, what's going on. And these little flashes he keeps having of sort of violent fantasies. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really mm. good story. Really stuck out to me. It's very original and yeah. interesting. Great. Mm-hmm. So then we go to ancient Egypt, kind of. Death is but the doorway. Yes. Which is it's a modern day story, but it revolves around ancient Egypt and basically a mummy's curse really isn't it yeah that's what I mean when I said in the interview it kind mm. of was so from left field I was like this is yeah it's a modern sort of retelling of of the mummy's curse yeah um, I mean that shows you how different these stories are you know, you get a really <laughs> yeah. you get a really good ride through a lot of different uh, territory reading this book and um, yeah I really enjoyed this one it had a lot of interesting stuff in it that I really liked the the end, which you can't really talk about. No. But um, the characters were very good. I mean, Nick was saying, you know, how much he liked the main characters enough yeah, to Yeah, the of main carry girl. Well, over. I mean, we didn't mention this. Actually, we should have asked him how it was to write as a woman, basically, mm. because the, the main character, the narrator, is a, is a lady, female character, mm. um, which you don't get to start with. You sort of have to work that one out for yourself. I mean, it does say, you know, basically her a woman mm. on like page 2 or 3 or something but for the first page and a half i was you know you don't know really what's going on and it's and that's a good thing about these stories it doesn't say you know this is what ha- this is who i am this is what's happening it gives you these clues and you by the end of it all at least by halfway through you're thinking okay right i know who these people are now yeah and that's a really good way of doing it it doesn't say you know this is this person he likes this he does this yeah absolutely but um, And you've got all the stuff about Egypt as well in there. Yeah, which is all really interesting. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a good one, this one. It's a, and the, the duo that he obviously liked, the granddaughter and the grandmother, yeah. really does work well together. You, yeah. can, you can picture this one as well. It's a really good relationship, that one. Um, as he was talking about pictures in the interview, I imagine this as a film as I was reading it. Yes. It was very filmic. That's what I was going to say to him in the interview. Yeah. I was like, this one really seems filmic and mm. visual yeah, and perhaps that is even more so than the others because it it kind of initially was going to be a comic you know oh, it, had that his, makes it kind sense. of had yeah. his okay. even though it's not the although same, it was a, a different story it, it was a different story but maybe that had mm-hmm. his visual part of his brain yeah, firing true. up even more when he was thinking mm. of these characters Yeah, I don't know but yeah another good one Nursery, nursery Rhymes oh, is the next one Nursery Rhymes so this is the one that he said is over 16s only mm. and we didn't really say anything about this one there's not much you can say about this one without spoiling it. No, there isn't, but he, all we can say is it's another brother story. This one, it's about two brothers' relationship. Yeah, and this one's got a couple of little twists and turns. It's a it's a really good story, but it's um, it's another one that I found. I found this one. You know, after that, the kind of wow of the the modern mummy's curse. Then you mm. go to this one, which is, is kind of like almost like a slap in the face of like whoa, this yeah. is really dark again. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another great thing about how the the book. wrong foots you at every turn I guess Um, but a really good story but can't really say too much about it do read it though it's very good yeah The Worst Day The Worst Day is the next one Mm. which we didn't touch on with Nick but the the story kind of revolves around this underground fighting well basically it's like a fight club Mm. and it almost well it actually implies that the fight club is you know was inspired by the film Fight Club (laughs) yeah I mean it, it. it's a really I mean it's another great story it's another one that it left me questioning things after I'd read it mm. a lot of things Yeah. and this maybe. is the one I said in the interview that I wish was longer because I wanted yeah, more Yeah. because I was I, I was really getting into it and um, it's a really interesting idea that was set up at the beginning of the story and uh, yeah I could have done with a bit more of that because it was damn good yeah nice to see it fleshed out yeah definitely And we finally come to The Beast in Beauty As we Mm. said Was published in a magazine Back in 1919 Is reprinted for this Book Yeah And it is very poetic At the beginning It's very I mean Then goes into More of a traditional Story Narrative And then it gets More poetic again At the end But it's It's very Again very interesting And this one That is the Only one that hasn't got Sort of family Connotations I think In it yeah yeah I mean I've, I think there are connotations well there of are relationships yeah and children but um yeah it would, I mean it's a really interesting story this is one that I, d- I did think I mean Nick talking about drugs and stuff when he was mm. reading this it did feel you read bit, it on drugs I <laughs> read it I was so <laughs> off my face <laughs> I read it and it did oh, it seems oh, like dreamlike the story you know it's uh mm. Very kind of whoa you know interesting narrative that just kind of goes around the place i don't know, and it, again, at left field, you said earlier on this this one for me again was like that, yeah, It's like one this is going all oh, right it's going there, yeah, okay, yeah, but really enjoyable, and again, like all the stories, actually, the image thing that I think we talked about with Nick today, I think is really crucial because I get very clear and interesting images in my head when I read. Mm. these stories yeah me too me and too. you can see them. they stick in your mind yeah and that's with this one you know th- this story I've got images in my head that really stay mm-hmm. which is great from so for such a you know sort of small little compact nice little book yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a so much stuff lot in, in there it. isn't there definitely yeah no it's a very good book we would recommend this to everyone Absolutely. Yeah, any of you Hellraiser fans out there, you know, if you yeah. if you love Hellraiser, you love Chatterer. <laughs> Nick Vince, he's got his new book out. Yeah. I suggest you read it. Get it uh, now just in time for Christmas. It's a perfect Christmas present or stocking filler. Yeah, yeah, definitely just um give it a read because it's interesting new horror uh from someone who's done some cool stuff in the past. So Indeed. <laughs> you absolutely. can't argue with that. No you can't. And we're going to do something very exciting now, Mm. something we haven't ever done before. We're going to do a competition. This is very exciting. Isn't it? We have a copy of, a signed copy of What Monsters Do to give away to one lucky listener. Yeah. And all we need to do is answer the following question correctly. The question is, what do monsters do? (laughs) No, it isn't. No. 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 That isn't the question. (laughs) No, the question is... (laughs) Uh, Nick Vince once wrote a story about the Chatterer's origin. What was it called? Chatterer Begins. (laughs) Um, Now, those of you paying attention, (laughs) we actually did mention this earlier on in the podcast. But it's not that difficult a question, so we're hoping to get a few people writing in. Do please write to us at hellraiserpodcast at hotmail.co.uk with the answer and your name... And we will pick a winner on a future podcast, and the lucky winner will get a signed copy, of... signed, signed by himself, by the man himself, and that will wing its way to you from us. Yep, nice one. Mm. Well, it's been a lovely, lovely time. What a hasn't lovely it? time. We've <laughs> had yes. a great time. Um, yeah, definitely want to get this book. Yeah, it's it's nice and cheap, and it's really you know there's a lot in there. For yeah. especially if you get it on Kindle. It's yeah, um, it's true. It's a really uh, a really good thing to buy for for a loved one, I'd say. Indeed. Or yourself if you love yourself. <laughs> if you love yourself. I do. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Well, thanks very much for listening. Just to remind you all, I've said the email address. Here it is again. Podcast at hotmail.co.uk. <laughs> say that again. Podcast at hotmail.co.uk. And uh, we've got a Twitter, at HellraiserCast. We're on Facebook, find us there. And we're on iTunes. If you want to go on iTunes and leave us a review, that would be great, because the more of those we get, the more listeners we'll get, and yes. we can have a massive party. The more reviews, the better, please. That would be lovely. In the meantime, all I the think there is to say is thank you all again so much. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Peter. And we will see you all very soon for the next one. Oh. Take care.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.